Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Edgman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. We're very excited about today's show. We have Kate Campbell, who is a financial educator who loves to talk to anyone who will listen about one of the most taboo, but very important topics, money. You can find her doing everything from writing articles on personal finance, creating free online courses, running the Rask online community, and you can read her new book, Buying Happiness. If it has to do with personal finance, Kate is definitely involved. I'm very excited about today's episode because we talk about happiness, how it relates to time and money. And um, there's a lot of goodies in this one. And Kate answers the big question, does money actually buy happiness? So we've got Kate today, and we're very excited to dive into the topic of money and happiness. But before we do, we usually do our money wins and losses of the week. And we thought this week it would be fun to kind of switch it up and talk about what we love spending money on. Oh. Yes. And Kate, do you want to do you want to kick it off this time? Yeah, well, something I love spending money on, which is probably no surprise if anyone listens to the Australian Finance Podcast, is buying books. Oh, and I agree. That was going to be mine. <laughs> you can have it. 
Someone at one of our events when we've been on the road recently told me that I need a thousand books to call myself a library. And I think I've only got about 500. So I've got a little bit to go, but books are fantastic. I think like I've pretty much followed Ramit Sethi's book buying rule, which if, if you want the book, you just buy it mm-hmm. um, because there's so much value you can, you can get from books and it's a great experience. It's a great, great way to share things with other people that like you can pass it on to someone when you're done. You never know what you'll learn. Yeah. I have I have had Kindle Unlimited recently. That's been a very happy purchase because you can get as many. You can get up to 20 books, so it's actually limited. It's not Kindle Unlimited. Um, per month? At once. So you can return oh, okay. it and then get another one. Yeah, I was a bit upset when I was downloading more and I had like the, oh, no, you have to return one first. And for someone travelling a lot, that probably is very helpful. You don't need a whole library in yeah, one no, place. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and then I get like analysis paralysis just picking a book to read when there's too many. So, yeah, 20 is fine. But that definitely makes me happy. Um, yeah, I've just recently been all about Audible, uh, yeah. which I thought has been life changing because I I don't have time to sit down and actually read. Books is a big one. For me, though, I was going to say in terms of um, what I love spending money on is like having a pastry and time to myself. Maybe because it's, you know, as a parent, you have very little time. So like allocating, I'm going to get a coffee, I'm going to get a pastry. I don't have anyone with me. Like that is has become magic. Your little happy face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been my my like moment of happiness, I think. Just yeah. having. It's amazing. It's It doesn't have to be those huge things that make us happy. It's often the small times with the, the pastry, the time alone, the coffee. I mean, we did, when I was researching for, for the book Buying Happiness, I surveyed over 350. 50 members of our community for the finance podcast and ask them what are some of the smallest things that they spend money on or time on to add happiness to their lives, just sort of giving low cost strategies. And coffee came up time and time again, whether it was making coffee at home with their partner, going on a coffee walk with their mum, buying a coffee for a friend at the office. It was just, it's just that small thing that adds connection and relate, builds our relationships. And it's just funny because so much of that personal finance advice is like, oh, cut, off, the cut out the coffee and mm-hmm. you'll have a home deposit, which we know the mass doesn't check out for that. Small things do add up, but it's often those small things that add a lot of value to our lives. What were some of the other things that came up frequently? Uh, a lot of people, for in terms of time, it was just spending time with friends and family, whether it was going going out or just at home, having someone over for dinner, um, even just things like better running shoes. Often it was those yeah. sort of apparel items, whether it was clothes for the snow, running shoes. Someone even said like really good quality socks. Oh, yes, that's a good one. So I agree. Quality yeah. of life, right? Like it impacts your quality of life in a way. Um, it's not like this purchase that is, you know, um, like a desire. It's more of like this just made my life better, I yeah. find, right? Yeah, it makes your everyday better when your socks mm-hmm. aren't itchy or they actually yeah. feel nice and comfortable. And something else that came up a lot was spending money on other people. So I don't know if they realized it or not, but it was often the experiences and the things they spent money on that had a relationship aspect. So someone said buying a new trampoline for my daughter and then having hours and hours of experiences and fun times doing that together or paying for my parents to travel from overseas to come and visit my family. And so time and time again. And actually the research shows that spending money on other people, whether it's for experiences, for things, makes us a lot happier than just spending that exact same amount of money on ourselves. And so I think there's a lot of things that make us happier that we might not realize what we're doing, but our brain knows. Yeah. Um, and we're just doing it in the background where and even like that relational aspect. So if you have a friend and you go out for coffee, one person might pay for both coffees one time we, with the expectation that you'll catch up again 
and you'll shout the next time. Mm -hmm. And so that adds to that relational aspect as well. I love the relational side of money. It's a huge topic. Um, well, you did mention your book, so Buying Happiness. We're ve- I'm very excited to read it. I know we, we got a signed copy today. Yeah, so. it's feeling very special. <laughs> We're very special. You're one of the few people in Australia that have a signed copy right now. Oh, wow, win. Yes. Um, what can people learn from your book? The book is a culmination of everything I've done on the podcasts I've been running over the last seven years, everything I've learned from my personal experiences, managing my own money, my own investing journey, speaking to experts around the world, and particularly that behavioral side of things and why we do what we do with our money. Because you can sort of simply work out how to invest, how to save, how to budget. It's not easy, but you can find some simple frameworks to set that all up. But when it comes to spending and figuring out what we want to do with our lives and how we want to use our money to improve our lives and also our time, we don't really have that conversation that often. So that was something that really got me interested over the last few years. And when I did an episode last year on the podcast, which was sort of eight ways to buy happiness, because I read this really fascinating research paper from the US from some of the the top behavioral researchers there that look at money and happiness. And it was called something like, if money doesn't make you happy, you're probably not spending it right. Mm, I feel like I read that, the Harvard one. Yeah, it was Elizabeth Dunn, Michael Norton, a few other people there. And they've, they also did a book, Happy, Happy Money, I think it is. And it was just fascinating. They pulled together all these different research papers and showed all the different ways that you could spend your money a little bit differently to add value to your life. And that really got me thinking about how we use our time and resources better. And so the book sort of slowly formed over the past year. And I did a lot of research into the money and time aspect and how we can use those resources, not to just completely overhaul our life, but just make small changes to the way we use them. But there's also a bit of personal finance. So helping people build their emergency fund, get out of debt. And there's a bit on investing and how to get started in a really simple, straightforward way and not trying to cover everything, but just trying to give you the basic tools to get started. Mm. So how did your own journey actually bring you to consider the relationship between money and happiness? I've always seen money as a tool and I haven't seen it as inherently a good thing or a bad thing. And I've used it in a way and increasingly so over the last few years to improve my life. So having more money has given me more choices. Money doesn't solve all your problems. It's not something you can just, you can't just buy happiness from a store, but you can use money to solve a lot of those basic needs. So it pretty much fulfills all of those basic Maslow's hierarchy. We can Mm -hmm. pay for rent, we can pay for bills, we can pay for groceries. And so that's like the base level of happiness. And then I've also been able to use money to have a lot of financial comfort through having an emergency fund. So that has helped me a lot over the years because I know that that's there to support me if I lose my job or if something happens to my family, I can take time off work to support them. So having that gives me really a steady level of comfort and security. And then I've also been able to use my money to make choices like go and spend more time studying um, and the costs involved with going back to, to university. Yeah, it's pretty pricey. Uh, yeah, and HEX is going up, but mm-hmm. HEX doesn't cover everything. So you still got to pay for things like textbooks. And then just having the money to spend more time on my relationships. And I can do that because I can afford to buy back my time in a way. So sometimes I can outsource things. So instead of having to spend 30 hours doing my own taxes or something like that, I can outsource some of that to an accountant. So there's some areas of my life where I will outsource tasks. There's actually research about that as well, where if we use 
some of our money to buy back our time, whether it's through using a cleaner or an accountant or buying some meals, that actually boosts our happiness a bit. But there's also a flip side because if we outsource too much of those things in our lives, we can start to lose a bit of the meaning and purpose and joy. Mm, You get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. If you outsource everything, like if you didn't leave your apartment, you just worked from home, you ordered in food, you could just get someone to pick up your laundry and do that. You don't get out, you don't meet people, you don't, you need a little bit of friction in your life. Mm -hmm. Like the, one of the examples is writing a birthday card. It is really easy and it's free to send a text to someone, but there's a lot of meaning in going to the news agents. You're chatting to someone, you're buying a card, you're going home, you're thinking about what you're writing, you're taking half an hour, then you go into the post office and sending that card and that person knows that you could have sent a text, mm-hmm. but you just spent probably a, an hour total of your time on them. It's meaningful, right? Like it's meaningful and, and being able to choose what you spend your time on and what you're spending your money on are are related. And, and that's the interesting part, I think, about what you were saying a little bit in terms of buying happiness, because there's that relationship between money and time. And so how do you look at those two? How are those interrelated, I think? Yeah. So for me, I personally see time as a really important thing in my life. And for anyone that's interested in the idea of financial independence, they probably really value their time right now, or at least they're valuing their time in the future. And sometimes we we overvalue that time in the future and then don't value it right now. So it's really hard to find that balance. But I'm really focused on what can I do today to set myself up in the future while still prioritizing myself right now? Because you could sacrifice all your time right now for money or some future future goal. I've definitely done that. I had the frugal stage where I wanted to save every single dollar, but now I'm a bit more like, oh no, I want to like, I value my time a bit more and I value the convenience things and I don't want to save $2 on the small things. Yeah. And it's an ongoing balance. So when I was interviewing a behavioral psychologist from the US, Dr. Daniel Crosby on the podcast, he's fascinating, but he said one of the biggest challenges we face, especially in relationships, is the balance between enjoying today and securing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that that could be investing, it could be buying a house, it could be getting out of debt, those kind of things. And it's a constant tension. And I don't think you ever get to a point where you have perfect equilibrium because there's so many factors that our life pushing and pulling and things change. Like you might become a parent and suddenly that reshapes your whole worldview. But I think if you just spend a bit more time being intentional with your time and thinking, how can I use it today to enjoy what I'm doing today, but also put a little bit of that time and money, those important resources I have to secure tomorrow. Yeah. It's the value, right? Like what, what is your value? What do you value right now? And don't deplete that. Like don't take away from that. You know, if you're valuing the the pastries and the coffee, they don't have to be every day, but make sure you have that time or that budget to be able to do those things. Or if it's, you know, more expensive, like travel, which is something that I value, right? Like, Yes, I I want to invest for the future, but I also want to put some money aside to be able to enjoy those moments. Because if I could die tomorrow and I've saved all my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hit fire or whatever it might be, but then I didn't enjoy my life. I'm just working towards something. And if you get to that point you might have missed out on enjoying your life until you got there. Yeah. And and you can't buy it. Like once you've spent the time, you can't buy it back. So there's a lot of times where it might be a perfect time in your 20s to do the year in London, to go backpacking around the world, to go hiking, to walk the Pacific Crest Trail, something like that. Those things 
you might have an abundance of time in your 20s, you might be on a budget and that might be the perfect spot to do it. But then in your 50s, you might not have the health and yeah. fitness and vitality and or even the desire to go and mm-hmm. do those those crazy things. And so you have to balance between when is the right time to do some of those activities or to make those purchases. And you might decide I'm going to delay that goal of buying a house by five years because there's a lot of experiences and things I want to spend my money on now that I can do in my 20s and 30s that I might not want to do in my 40s, 50s and 60s. Yeah. How do you think someone can actually balance that? For me, it's writing down what I want to prioritize right now. And so I I know that there's a lot of things I want to do and achieve, but I know I can't do them all at once. Yeah. You can have everything, just not all at once. What's yeah. that quote? Yeah. yeah. Well, Paula Pant has, has one, which is you can afford everything, but not, no, you can afford anything, but not everything. Yeah. No, I do like that one. But even just writing down what are the, some of the things you want to achieve over the next, like all those, those things on your bucket list and then trying to sort it out over maybe break it into decade categories and then if you can break it into five-year categories again so you can go, okay, these are the five things I want to achieve over the next 10 years but I can't do them all in the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. And so how can I push one back two or three years because, okay, that's still something I want to do soon but I'm okay if it doesn't happen in the immediate 12 months Mm -hmm. but I really want to prioritise finishing this course. So that's going to be my focus for the next 12 months. And so you're not going to have the financial or the time resources to do everything right now. Most of us are probably working five days a week. We can't necessarily just go and hike for six months, but maybe we could do that in three years if we started putting the framework and the financial foundations in today. Yeah, I talk to a lot of uni students, especially who are trying to save and invest and buy a house, but also finish uni and just reminding them that you can prioritise one thing at a time and things will come in the future as well. Hmm. And I guess that's the hard thing about investing. It is such a long journey. It might be 10, 20, 30 years before you reach that, whatever that investing goal is. So finding some way to enjoy the milestones along the way. So even though I would like to be financially independent in 20 years, I don't want to just be solely fixated on getting there at the cost of everything Everything. Yeah, exactly. So because I'm, I'm probably not going to be substantially happier when I hit that milestone. No, especially if you've not tried things along the way. Like how are you supposed to know what you enjoy when you're 50 or 60 if you've not really done things in your early 20s or 30s? You're like, now I'm going to hike Machu Picchu. (laughs) Actually... Never mind. I've never hiked. Yeah. I, I don't know if I like it. You yeah. Know? You have to kind of enjoy life along the way, right? And experimenting and trying things along the way because we often think that it's that goal that's going to hitting that goal. So maybe it's a million dollars. I know that number gets thrown yeah. around a lot, but realistically, if your net worth hits a million dollars, you might have a fleeting amount of happiness. Maybe you throw a party or something like that, but your life's just going to keep going on. Yeah, and you're like, what's next? What's the next goal? So you probably still have a mortgage to (laughs) pay off, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Most of us would probably have a a mortgage as well. And so finding ways to actually enjoy the process and become more process orientated. So you enjoy the the learning, the achievement along the way, because it's a long way to a million dollars if you got to wait 20 years before you're going to be happy. Can we normalize million dollar parties? That'd be fun. We can all celebrate our million dollar party when they just make their first ETF investment, when they receive their first dividend. Like we get so excited when people have the sold sticker or the bought sticker on a property on Instagram, but we don't really get excited when someone makes their first investment in any other asset. Or when you hit like 100K or something, those milestones along the way. 
Yeah. There, there was a thing I saw on the, is it called Batuta? The <laughs> satirical the yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah the satirical, uh, satirical paper. And they said how um, uh, a woman was celebrating her 35th birthday and she's having a gift registry because she's never going to get married. She's not going to have kids. Mm. And I'm like, I love this concept. Like, why don't we celebrate these little life things along the way, whether you want to celebrate your 35th birthday or writing a book or, you know, investing in your first ETF, those things are huge milestones that are going to set you up for future things. And we need to enjoy those little moments in time and not just be like the end game is retiring early. And that's the only thing I'm focusing on, because if we don't stop to think about what we really value, we won't know when we hit the finish line, right? Like all of a sudden, what is your identity at that point if mm-hmm. if your whole identity was about reaching that goal? Yeah. And I've spoken to a lot of people who have, they're in their 50s, they're in their 60s. By all, by all accounts, they would be financially independent, but they don't see it that way because their whole identity is work. Mm-hmm. That's all they've ever known. They've never, they don't have hobbies. They don't, like they've got a work social life, but that's about it. They don't have things they like to do on the weekends. And so to them, If they stop working. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. They would be they would have nothing. And so that's something that they would have to work on and go and yeah. find those activities and things. But they can't see themselves as being financially independent because they don't know what their life without work would look like. And they also don't know what enough is for them because we, we just compare ourselves to our social group and the people around us and often those exterior things. So I might look at a friend and go, oh, they've bought their first home. They've just got a new car. They must be doing really well. And if I don't have those things, then I feel like I'm behind. But I am actually might have a great super balance. I might have some really good savings. I might actually be ahead of everyone else in my age group. But if you're comparing it to all your peers, then you might feel like you're behind. And so we have to work out what's enough for us. And that's a really hard thing to come around. Most people never work it out. Yeah. It's really interesting to watch. Like I speak about my grandparents a little bit on the podcast. Um, but yeah, my granddad still works and he's 86 now. And I don't think he'll ever retire because his whole life is walking the dog, like going home, working. That's it. Like seven days a week. And it's quite interesting to see that there's never quite going to be enough for them. And like, he gets a lot of value from work and that's great. But kind of watching that and stepping back and being like, oh my God, I don't want that to be me. Like I want to have that number that's enough and be able to step back from it. I think that's very valuable. Like what is enough? Yeah. What is enough for both of you? Well, I think I have enough right now. Sure, I can't retire and never work a day in my life again, but I don't really want to do that at Mm -hmm. this stage of my life. I'm saving each year. I'm investing. I'm learning. I'm spending time with my friends, developing my relationships. And for me, that's enough right now. I think I'm doing everything 
to enjoy today and set myself up for the future. And sure, it's a hard balance. There's always more things I'd like to buy. But I also go, well, do I really need that right now? I actually have a, a pretty good life right now without buying those merry people gumboots I've got my eye on. <laughs> gumboots, interesting. Yes. I kind of agree with you. I've gotten to the point as well now where I bought my apartment. I've got like a decent share portfolio and it's just kind of like ticking along in the background and I can add a certain amount each fortnight, but I'm not overly focusing on it anymore like I used to. How beautiful, right? Like how how beautiful that, you know, both of you have feel like you've, I mean, I I, I feel quite similarly, so yeah. it's not. But it's it, taken time to get right? to this yeah. point. It, yeah. it definitely wasn't like this at 18 and 19. No, I was yeah. definitely in hustle mode. I wanted to take, I had no spare time. I was yeah. taking on every opportunity. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I had enough. I always needed to spend more time on my career, more time in the office, yeah, more time studying, another job, needed another shifts. piece of paper. But it's slowly over time as I've become more comfortable and confident on my own money journey because as you learn the basics, you realise, oh, it doesn't have to be that complicated. I can set myself up quite simply with a simple saving and investing strategy. Sure, I need to monitor it and check in and maybe make some adjustments if my goals change, but I don't need to overcomplicate things and then once I have things in place, I can step back and go, how can I make my life fulfilling outside of my financial goals? Because that's just one part of my life, but it's not my whole life. Yeah. I definitely attached a lot of my identity to it as well when I was younger. Like I was the person going on all the trips and like saving all the money and being really frugal. So trying to like step back from that was quite interesting and I've done it now. But yeah, when you're in that kind of world, I guess it's hard to kind of detach from that, which I think is what would happen to a lot of people in the fire. Do you think you have to go through that, Anna? Um, like which part? Like, like the, the the feeling like I've got to work as hard as I can to save and invest. And if I want to reach my financial independence goals or my other goals, I just got to keep going. I think it's also just the culture, right? Like there's a culture of like, we, I want to reach fire. I want to do it as quickly as possible. And if I um, invest 50% of my income or 80% of my income, I can get there faster. So there's a hustle culture that happens with investing. And I don't think we need the hustle culture, right? Like we're already hustled enough, you know? <laughs> Everybody keeps hustling like, us. I was having a conversation the other day. No one has hobbies anymore because everyone talks about side hustles. It's almost frowned upon to have a hobby. Like, oh, you you read on the weekend? Like, don't you do anything else? Like, yeah. wh- why? Like, that's such a valuable part of our time. So I think that we've created this we. Like, society is already a hustle culture. The FIRE movement is also kind of hustling. Like, how quickly can I get there? I see people on Facebook groups writing about like, I have $200,000 a year. I have my house almost paid off. I have this. They sound amazing. Like they're in a great, but they feel stressed about wanting to reach fire for whatever that is. And it's like, well, what is valuable now? And I think it comes down to your identity. What do you identify with? Do you identify with being a workaholic? Do you identify with being a side hustler? Those things are fine to identify with, but what other things do you identify with? Like what, what brings happiness? What brings value to your life? What is your rich life? Right? Like all, all of those things. It's not just enough to have that end goal. And, you know, we're very goal oriented as, as humans. Like that's just really a a part of it. But when you read things like Atomic Habits, which I talk about all the time on the podcast, (laughs) it's a great book, but it's such a great book. You know, like what is our identity and which identity do we want to take on? Do we also want to be an artist? Do we also want to be someone who who's into health, healthy living and trying alternative fun craft things like making candles? Like we can take on other identities along with trying to be financially savvy, right? Um, it, it doesn't have to be our whole identity. And if we unpack what our own identity is, we can kind of maybe find what we really value or want to value. And it's interesting because we often think it's the goals and 
the fame and the success that will make us happy, but it actually is our relationships. And one of the longest running studies on adult development run in by Harvard in the US, um, a psychiatrist who's currently the director of the program, Dr. Robert Waldinger, sorry, bit of a long name. Um, he has looked at all of the research and they've found that the biggest predictor of health and well-being over time is actually the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of our relationships. And that is what makes us happy. Knowing that if something goes wrong, if you have a bad day, if you're in hospital, you have someone to call and that they're, they're going to come and they're going to give you the help and the support. And you have people you can depend on, you've got a community. And that is actually what leads to our overall health and well-being over time. It's not all of the it's not the million dollars in the bank account. It's not reaching a new level of career success. Often those will make us happy for a short period of time and they're part of our overall happiness. But often we can work towards financial or career goals and then neglect relationships. Yeah, yeah. And relationships, some of them can be neglected for a few years. Like I've haven't spoken to a friend for a few years and we had dinner the other night and it was like no time had passed. But Sometimes you can't neglect those relationships and if you neglect things for too long or you miss too many of those important milestones in someone's life, sometimes that sort of irreparably damages them. And so that's something that I'd love more people to think about on their own financial journey is am I prioritising time with my friends and family along the way in order to have a better sense of well-being and happiness over time because it might not seem like the most important thing to do right now. I, I guess many of us set goals and we don't include improve our relationships or work on my relationships with my friends and family on that list, but it actually adds a lot of value to our lives. Mm, and finding friends who align with the life that you want as well, like that's quite a tricky one, but a really important one as well. I think I heard something recently on the lines of your kids won't remember the work and successes that you did, but they'll remember the time that you were away. Mm. And that really hit home, right? Like, I don't know if you think about being a kid and if you had a big game or an event and if your loved ones, your family wasn't there, you really felt it, right? And I think about that for my kids as well as I've, you know, as you, as I'm transitioning back into work, as I'm also doing things on the side, like yeah. I'm neglecting one side for something else, and, and how do you balance those two? How do you balance, you know, the finances and making money and following your own goals, but not neglecting your relationships? And I think it comes back to like being wholeheartedly there, like being 100 percent present in the moment and not neglecting those relationships. Yeah. Right. Because if you do, it might lead to issues in the future, right? Like if you're not here now, how are you going to be here for that person in the future? Yeah. And we often think it's just like turning up for the the big birthdays yeah. or the weddings or the funerals, but it's also really important to show up for when your friends had a really tough time at work, like yeah. being there, just spending time. It might not even be solving their problems. It might just be sitting, making them a cup of tea and listening and providing a supportive ear. But it's often those smaller moments that are really hard to quantify, but they make a meaningful difference to the quality of our relationships over time. And I think more people should set sort of relationship, not I wouldn't say goals, but maybe just intentions at the start of the year. When you're thinking about, I want to save $20,000 this year, or I want to go to Europe and I want to do this, prioritizing your relationships and spending time on them as well. Was it you had a spreadsheet of people you were reaching out to? Did I hear that from you? 
Um, no. I had a notes ah. for a while just to remind me if I hadn't kept in touch with yeah, someone for a while. Yeah, I was talking to someone who had a spreadsheet, I think, and it was like every three months they had to, like, it was a reminder to check in with people and when they last checked in. I thought that was quite interesting. I saw something like that recently yeah. as well, and I thought that that was beautiful, right? Yeah. Like just trying to nurture these relationships, potentially someone you worked with or a, a friend that you don't see often. Like how valuable and lovely is that? And sometimes you realize you've you know, parted ways and you don't see eye to eye and there's, you know, you, you move on, but at least it's like closing, closing a door. And Mm. And it's definitely harder to make friends as adults. So it's something you have to be a bit more intentional about. Like I, last year I tried out improv comedy Mm. and that was a way that I was able to meet heaps of new people and make new friends. And that led to many other great things happening, but you had to put yourself out there and it was scary at the start. I was in a really uncomfortable situation, but in a safe way. And I got to be silly and meet new people and express myself in a different way. And that led to lots of new friendships. And so I think sometimes we just have to take that first step and put ourselves into these situations where we can meet new people and know that it's not going to happen instantly. You have to keep showing up. You have to keep sending the messages and keep trying to meet new people and work on developing those relationships. And be the person to reach out and say, hey, do you want to get coffee? Because most people yeah. probably want to make more friends, but everyone's just waiting for someone else to make the first move. Yeah, that is, that's the best advice. Most people just sit there and they want to be invited, but they're not reaching out. So I find sort of nine times out of 10, if you reach out to someone and put something out there, They'll either say yes or they'll counter-propose. If they say no, then you That's just fine. leave that there to and the you next move person. on. Yeah. So to conclude, does money buy happiness? Yes, to yes. an extent. Yes, full stop. No. <laughs> I think it fulfills a lot of those basic needs. If you're struggling to pay rent, to pay for the bills, I think anyone in that position could clearly say that money would buy them a lot more happiness, comfort, security. But then we often get confused after that point. But there's a lot of things we can do to add a bit of extra value to our lives. So some of the research shows that if we anticipate a purchase or an experience, that adds value to that experience. So thinking about ways you can use your existing resources better. So could you book that trip overseas? 12 months out and then you've got 12 months to plan, to ask for recommendations and that builds up the anticipation of the experience and that adds a lot of extra happiness to your life. So you're still spending the same amount of money but you're experiencing it quite differently. Yeah, I read that um, someone was recommending booking more shorter trips more frequently so you have more things to look forward to rather than that one big trip where it comes and then it's gone instead of having like weekend stays every few months or something. Yeah, because we adapt. We also adapt. So it's kind of like there's the... Catch-22 where we like that big overseas vacation because it's often a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see new things. But then once it's over, we might not be able to afford to go on another trip for a few years. And so there's also the, the flip side where the research says that sometimes we actually prefer quantity over quality. And so we might actually, as as you said, Tash, like those six weekend vacations a year to different places around Victoria. So maybe testing what works for you and what adds greater value to your life. And maybe you have a slightly less expensive trip, but you can also plan a short vacation during the year. Um, and there's also a lot of research that says we we prefer experiences mm-hmm. over things because five years time, we can still bring up those memories of that trip to Europe, but the, the gum boots we might have bought have yes. well and truly been worn out by then. So it's always a balancing act. A lot of items can also be experiences like that trampoline I mentioned earlier in the episode. It's a purchase of a physical item, but it's going to give hundreds of hours of experience from it. So often things sit 
in that middle between an experience and an item too. Yeah, and actually figuring out what you do enjoy as well, like not just following the latest TikTok thing where everyone's in Europe and you might not actually enjoy backpacking around Europe. It's really figuring out what you enjoy and what you actually want to spend on. Yeah, like a lot of people romanticize solo travel, but I solo travel for it's three hard. weeks. And it's hard. Yeah. I don't think I'm a solo traveler. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely a solo traveler. Yeah, I like yeah. it in like in like short bursts, I guess. But having it really like structured, almost where I know there's an end, and I'll get to see people. But, yeah. but it can be hard because yeah. if you have never been confronted with yourself for like mm-hmm. a long period of time, if you've never gone out for dinner by yourself or to the theater by yourself. That might be a place to start yes. before you go on a trip by yourself. When you just, just like slightly, TikTok yeah. glamorizing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah it so you is. can find ways to do those For things sure. in Australia mm-hmm. without going overseas. So finding small ways to experiment as well on how you can spend your money better. And um, we mentioned earlier sort of outsourcing some of those tasks. So there might be something you really just dislike doing. Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once a month. This oh, I can't regular wait to like, outsource the cleaning. That is my dream, yeah. getting a cleaner. And so for you, you might prioritize putting some money aside in your budget for outsourcing cleaning once mm-hmm. a fortnight. And then that time is freed up for you to do something else and maybe spend more time with friends and family. Mm-hmm. Great tips. I love yeah. these tips of how to how to buy happiness yes. along the way, right? You can do it. The answer is yes. And also novelty because our, mm. our brain adapts to things so quickly and it our baseline just keeps adapting as we get paid more. We just adjust to a new standard of living. But it's the same with activities. So if you can find a way to surprise your friend with an experience, like that actually will be make both of you quite happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and novelty. So instead of going to the exact same restaurant or coffee shop every time, mixing things up, walking in a new direction, that just is a small way to add, use the same amount of time and money that you would have spent, but add a bit of extra happiness to your day. I love that one. Yeah. Do you have two quick actionable steps for people who want to buy more happiness? Plan something right now so you've got something to anticipate in your calendar 30 days time. Book like a ticket to a show, book a movie, book a dinner with a friend. Oh, there's good movies around at the moment. Yeah. Oppenheimer. I loved it. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, I, uh... So good. <laughs> For me, I'm a, I'm a theatre person, so I'm going to my favourite group impromptu in about a month's time with oh, a friend. Awesome. So it's improvised musical. Ah, that's it's cool. It's a, a little bit of a niche thing I'm <laughs> yeah. into, but I just love watching improvised musicals. Musicals and improv, and the combination is just even better. Amazing. <laughs> so, book something in the next month, so you've got you can anticipate, you've got an experience, and you're doing something hopefully with a friend. Mm-hmm. And second tip would be working out what you value spending money on and then try and spend $50 more on it this month Mm -hmm. and just really enjoy that experience or that item or that piece of cake. I love that. Oh yeah. Or the pastry and the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. And where can people find more about you? You can find more about me on the Australian Finance Podcast, available on all good podcast players. And also you can buy my book, Buying Happiness, Learn to Invest Your Time and Money Better on Amazon, Booktopia, and hopefully in Dimmicks and other bookstores near you. It's exciting. We'll just pop the link up. It's a really good book. I'm excited. Amazing. Tash got an early peek at the book. Yeah, it's very good. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. Woo. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12998881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367.
and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.